Hi there, this is Afra speaking. Just to say that this podcast was recorded before news broke about the Israeli Defense Forces bombing of Rafa and the subsequent devastation and loss of life that has followed. The Week in Patriarchy podcast team are heartbroken at the genocide being perpetrated by Israel and the unimaginable suffering being experienced by Palestinians. We will continue to speak on this topic on the podcast and advocate for a free Palestine. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Week in Patriarchy podcast, your review of the biggest news stories through a feminist lens. I'm Hannah Barron-Brown. And I am your mystery host, Afra, and together we are covering this week's biggest stories in news, politics and pop culture from an intersectional feminist perspective, whilst also trying to decode some of the more nonsensical things our politicians and the mainstream media are pushing out. Yeah, in shocking news, we are not fans of this government and we're pretty frustrated by the lack of stories affecting women or when big stories never get viewed in terms of their impact on women. We met when working in politics and we've spent a lot of time trying to raise awareness of issues affecting women that rarely hit the headlines. So we'd like to think we're pretty well placed to hold some reporting to account. And this week, we'll be chatting about why we'd take popcorn to watch the bin fire that was PopCon, delays in housing reform, and Labour backpedalling so hard that they're going round in circles. But first, Afra, my love, tell me, how was your week? Uh, my week was pretty good, quite busy. But then this weekend, um, I was in Brighton. Uh, I spent, I kind of spent it in various cafes and like vintage charity shops. And actually, I'm so pleased with this purchase. It's going to sound really ugly when I describe it to you, but I think it's the kind of ugly that I could potentially pull off. It's like you know the kind of <laughs> ugly that it tips over into like slightly fashionable like that kind of ugly mm-hmm. so I found this like it's a hundred percent silk and it's a dress that's like brown with blue polka dots on it <laughs> um, oh wow it, it's vintage and it's like goes right past my knee because I'm a short gal um and it just it's so floaty and it's so bonkers actually I've got it I'm gonna hold it up for you 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 can confirm <laughs> it's gonna look so ugly but it's, it's, I love it so much. So our viewers don't get the benefit of being able to follow you on Instagram because obviously you're anonymous. But, um, oh, it, I can report viewers, listeners, whatever you are, it is indeed a very floaty. And I think that's going to be absolutely awesome dress. I'm so jealous. I'm going to pair it with yellow shoes and it's going to look crazy. Of course you are. Of course you are. Like, your style is something that I, I yearn to be, like, cool enough to pull off what you wear. <laughs> um, and I just spend so much time on your Insta going, yeah, one day, one day. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I cannot wait. Send us photos and we'll blank your face out on them, obviously. Thank you. I will. How was your week? Well, um, so it's been, it's been quite chill. It's been just a lot of kind of, like, passing around and doing stuff and seeing my family and stuff. But I did go and see the film American Fiction last night, which is excellent. It's a really, really um, funny but heartbreaking, really tongue-in-cheek and very kind of eye-opening view of race and the publishing industry. Um, mm. And, yeah, I cannot recommend it highly enough. I absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, highly recommend. Go, go see American fiction. I'm sold. I'm sold. You'll love it. Race and the publishing industry. 
I'm immediately sold. Okay, adding that to my list. Right, so good. (laughs) So our first story of the week has it all. We have Tory right-wingers whining. We have Liz Truss attempting a comeback to the delight of precisely no one and then we have the bizarre claim that people who support lgbtqi plus rights ethnic minorities or saving the planet are quote left-wing extremists we bring you popcorn so this is from the guardian and the headline reads trusses popcorn group splinters on launch but attacks sunak's policies yeah this story has distinct piss up in a brewery vibes so popcorn was the launch of the popular conservatism movement Okay, sorry, an oxymoron if I ever heard one. (laughs) Right. And honestly, I am beyond baffled by how anyone thought that this wasn't going to be a bin fire. Um, So Popcorn is described by organisers as a new movement aiming to restore democratic responsibility to Britain and deliver popular conservative policies, which is pretty rich coming from members of a party who've done all they can to try to destroy democracy by bringing in voter ID, refusing to give disabled or pregnant MPs accessible voting systems. And they also thrive as a result of our hugely problematic first-past-the-post voting system. Honestly, Afra, all you really need to know is that two of the MPs who spoke were Liz Truss and Jacob Rees-Mogg. And the entire event was a pretty brutal takedown of the current government's policies, which is all the more ridiculous given the two of them serve in this government. Yes, there's a general election coming up and this group are trying to shape Tory policies ahead of that. But it takes a certain kind of bullishness to stand up and slag off the policies of your own party whilst sitting as a serving MP for them. Oh, you know, it encapsulates like a really long running theme of like a complete lack of accountability from senior Tory politicians over the last, what, I don't know, 14, 15 years. Yeah, completely agree. And they were really gunning for Sunak in a whole range of ways. My personal favourite was when ex-coal miner Lee Anderson, yes, a Tory ex-coal miner, (laughs) make it make sense, Um, Lee Anderson decided that coal was sustainable, saying, and I quote, I'm pretty sure that coal 100 million years ago was trees and plants. (laughs) I can't even say it with a straight face. It was. Well, I would argue that's sustainable. Now, look, I know that Sunak has been pushing for more maths on the curriculum, but I think his former party deputy chair really needs some basic science classes. God, I couldn't agree more. I mean, also, Liz Truss really does do this cracking job of reminding everyone just how terrible she was as PM, doesn't she? Because I didn't go to PopCon, I didn't watch PopCon, but I did hear that she made a speech so horrendous that there were calls for Truss to lose the Tory whip for it. Is that true? Yeah, Theresa May's former chief of staff called for her to lose the whip because it was a complete car crash. And this is literally why Alettis outlasted her while she was in power. Um, So according to Truss, the reason Tories haven't been more successful is that for years and years and years, Conservatives have not taken on the left-wing extremists. Now, the issue according to Truss is that those dastardly left-wing extremists are now in disguise because they won't admit that they're socialists or communists, but they now apparently hide behind titles such as environmentalists and generally supporting LGBT people or groups of ethnic minorities. Honestly, Afra, breaking to my mother, 
that Liz Truss reckons she's a left-wing extremist was one of the more hilarious moments of my week and she now wants a t-shirt making. <laughs> I actually can't handle how much secondhand embarrassment I get from Liz Truss. But, you know, the, like the scary thing is about her is that behind the like quite entertaining incompetence and sort of just like bizarre behaviour, there is actually quite a dangerous woman because last year... Trust called for schools to be banned from allowing students to socially transition. And she also hasn't done it. She didn't do anything at all to progress the ban on conversion therapy during her time in power. Yeah, it's very much the Boris Johnson school of entertainment. But behind it, he's a really deeply unpleasant human being. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we are mocking this, but the attendees themselves told a very concerning story with their presence. So Nigel Farage was there. And he is, unfortunately, a very effective campaigner, if you like that sort of thing. Um, and he was there busy taking selfies with Tory members who previously would have genuinely risked suspension from their party for being seen to associate with him. That's how much the Tory movement has changed recently. And apparently, Nigel was there in the biggest inverted commas of all time. He was there as a journalist for GB News. Now, if Nigel's a journalist, Afra, I think that means I can competently claim to be a neurosurgeon. Um, <laughs> like, Pretty Patel apparently turned up, but the source on that one is Nigel Farage himself. So I would take that with a bucket of salt. Do you know what? I actually don't think I can give any more oxygen to Farage and his goonies. I think, I think you've covered all there is to know about popcorn, and I hope it never, ever happens again. So I'm going to have to move us on to our second story. So this story is about housing reform. BBC News on Friday reported a surge in no-fault evictions by bailiffs in England, which is an incredibly depressing one, particularly in light of the cost of living crisis. Yeah, this one is heartbreaking and it's also an issue that disproportionately impacts women and families. So let me get into the weeds of renters' rights just for a moment. In the 2019 election, the Tories pledged to ban no-fault evictions, which are also known as Section 21 evictions. And a no-fault eviction is just where a landlord can evict a tenant without having to give a reason for doing so. So this gives landlords a shocking amount of power and it's also why rent is so astronomical in this country. It's like one of the reasons why, because the no-fault eviction is actually a very effective weapon because if renters start protesting at the unfair rents they're being charged they can just get evicted but in news or shock absolutely no one the ban on no-fault evictions that the Tories promised just hasn't been done they haven't kept their word and as always the consequences have fallen hardest on some of the most vulnerable people in our society so data from the charity shelter shows that in 2023 the number of households repossessed by bailiffs after receiving a section 21 or no fault notice rose by 49% from 6339 to 9,457. Overall, the total number of no-fault notices has risen to a seven-year high. So this is an issue that is rapidly getting worse. Yeah, and also the other thing about Section 21 is that by the time a Section 21 gets to the point that bailiffs are going in, mm. things have gotten really extreme. So most people will actually receive a Section 21, so a no-fault eviction, and they will be able to, to some extent, to start that process of moving out. So this data from Shelter is actually only capturing quite a small percentage and probably like a percentage of those most affected by the no-fault evictions. 
Yeah. So not only have the government failed to keep an election promise, shocker, but when the leader of the Commons, Penny Mordaunt, laid out the upcoming business in Parliament this week, she made no mention of this bill, which is really concerning given that there is meant to be a general election coming up. Well, it sort of implies that they've just quietly dropped it, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. So Lucy Powell, who's Labour's shadow leader of the House, said that the report stage of the bill was due in early February, but we're nearly halfway through the month with no sign of it yet. We should add, however, that on the day of recording this, Michael Gove went on the Laura Kunzberg programme, insisting that Section 21 would be outlawed by the next election, with money funnelled into the courts to ensure they can enforce it. But we won't bet on that because we leave the betting on vulnerable people's lives to Rishi Sunak. That was such a good line. And also, can I just point out, have you noticed that I've kind of purposefully left any kind of names, like naming people to you? Because for, for our listeners, Hannah is doing an incredible job. And it's but she's she's got the worst of it because I've purposefully given her all the hard bits to say. And I'm just saying the like really short, snappy, fun bits. So you're welcome, Hannah. Oh, thank you so much. I thought I'd just got really unlucky this week. No, but no. no, it was okay. deliberate. I sabotaged you. <laughs> that's that's making me feel better. Okay, yeah. right. Okay, all right. <laughs> Sorry. So basically, if this doesn't happen before the upcoming general election, this meaning the kind of banning of Section 21, uh, no fault evictions. Um, so it could potentially be dangerous for the Tories because there are about 11 million furious renters out there. But then, of course, landlords are generally better off. And so the Tories don't really want to upset them either. Yeah, this is true. But I think the main the takeaway of this really is that no fault evictions can lead to homelessness for people, particularly those struggling the most financially. Because I think as probably as everyone knows, moving is really expensive and it also severely impacts those who have children because, you know, you'll if you have children, you're going to need to find a bigger home at a shorter notice and you have to be more discerning with your locations because of school. It also really impacts single parents, 90% of whom are mothers. And it also severely impacts those who need accessible accommodation. Yeah, I speak from bitter personal experience when I say that it's incredibly hard to find accessible housing at the best of times. And if the home you've got is then suddenly taken away with no notice, we know that there is really no buffer or system to support you to find something new because there's not enough accessible social housing either. Yeah, I mean, not to mention, it's also just incredibly destabilising to have your home taken away from you. And it's shocking. Like the UK has some of the worst renters' rights in Europe. It's disgusting. And, you know, in case you somehow forgot, we are an intersectional feminist podcast. So obviously, we are going to highlight the impact of homelessness on women. So here is a bit of background from the Single Homelessness Project. So women experiencing homelessness are actually less visible on the streets. They, they often hide themselves or they sofa surf because they're avoiding being on the street and the dangers that come with that. So this means that the kind of traditional counting and recording methods underestimate the actual number of women rough sleepers. We also know that women make up 60% of all homeless adults in temporary accommodation in England, despite comprising 51% of the general population. The situation is even worse in London, where 65% of all homeless homeless adults in temporary accommodation are women. Yes. And I mentioned single mothers earlier. In England, and this this statistic 
floored me. In England, one in every 38 single mother is homeless. So that makes single mothers the group that is one of the hardest hit by homelessness. And on top of that, the average age of death for women experiencing homelessness in the UK is just 43 years old. 43 years old. That is nearly half the average life expectancy of women in the general population. So what we know from this is that Section 21 notices directly cause homelessness, which contribute to unemployment, assault, illness and even death. So there is very little justification for the government not to be getting on with this pronto. Yeah, I mean, we did say that this was this was a heartbreaking one and it's it's really true. And, you know... On that note, I think it's time to look at what the Labour Party are doing because, unfortunately, there has been backpedalling on both sides of the political spectrum lately. So this is from The Independent. Labour set to finally abandon £28 billion green investment promise in major U-turn. Yeah, probably the most disheartening moment I had around this story this weekend was when I came out of the cinema on Saturday night to a BBC News notification from Laura Kunzberg with the headline asking, are the politics of climate change going out of fashion? Like the climate emergency is what? Last season? Which is ironic given climate change is leading to very poorly defined seasons. You're on fire today. Yes. I mean, it almost goes without saying that marginalised groups are most affected um, at present by um, climate change. You know, whether that's the um, elderly in Hong Kong living in cage homes, unable to afford air conditioning in in rising temperatures, or air pollution in the US affecting people of colour much more severely than Caucasians, or people in the UK who are from lower income backgrounds being much more likely to live in polluted areas compared to middle and upper class families. So, why the backtrack? Labour are terrified that the Tories will push a narrative that they're not fiscally responsible in the run-up to the next election and that they can't balance the books, which is why they keep U-turning on so many policies. You know what, I've got more of a spine than Starman. I won't even tell any of you my name or show my face. (laughs) Which is saying something, isn't it? Bless Mm. him. So... The big question is, Afra, is this a good or a bad move from Labour in the eyes of the voters? Now, if you look at More in Common, which is the organisation set up in the wake of the death of MP Joe Cox, they've done some fantastic research looking at the priorities of voters as this general election gets closer. So right at the top on the priorities is dealing with the cost of living crisis. Then it's supporting the NHS, followed at number three with tackling climate change and the environment. So essentially what you're saying is that they've dropped one of the big priorities for voters. In fact, one of the top three priorities for voters. Yeah, exactly. And so unless Labour can clearly draw a line between dropping this £28 billion pledge and how exactly this will be channeled into improving the cost of living or the NHS, then this is likely to be a huge blow. And it's young voters who traditionally vote Labour who are most concerned regarding the environment and most outraged at Labour's U-turn on this. And the most frustrating thing about this is like now, instead of the Tories talking about Labour's finances, they now have plenty of examples to imply that Keir Stummer doesn't keep his promises because this theme of backpedalling is actually a long running one for the Labour leader. And it is it is an allegation that Labour don't really have an answer for because it's true. And, you know, not to depress anyone further, but Hannah, would you like to play a fun game? Oh, go on. 
Let's list some of the things that the Labour Party have you turned on in recent years. I always whip this game out at dinner parties. Actually, if anyone listening, he might invite me to a dinner party. That's a lie. I'm great <laughs> at dinner parties. Okay, I just want this known. Anyway, you go first. Okay. Um, one of the things that they've you turned on is just nationalising just stuff. So when Starmer was contesting the Labour leadership, he pledged to bring public services, so that's water, rail, mail and energy, back to a common ownership. But by September 2021, he then ruled out nationalising the big six energy companies. And then by July 2022, his shadow chancellor, Rachel Reeves, broke the news that Labour had in fact ditched all plans to nationalise public services. That means no nationalising our water, our rail, our mail and our energy. Basically, four things that are either costing huge amounts of money or wasting huge amounts of resources or just aren't working and costing costing us, the taxpayer, tons and tons of money. So I've got a good number two. I say okay. good. Yeah. Um, so outsourcing the NHS... Because one of Keir Starmer's other leadership pledges was that he was going to stop using private providers in the NHS, only for him to realise by the summer of 2022 that that wasn't likely to work either and backtrack on that. Which, if you think back to that more in common data, supporting the NHS is like number two priority for voters right now. And I've got to say, I keep looking at the Labour plans for the NHS and I'm just getting more and more depressed every single week. Do you think it's worse that he backtracks out of everything or that he comes up with policies that are not going to work from the outset and then doesn't realise them until he's like quite far in. It doesn't really go with his I'm a pair of safe hands image, does it? Oh, very true. And out of curiosity, Hannah, I'm just, I'm assuming that you know everything about the NHS because you're a doctor. <laughs> um, why, why was the private provider pledge like rolling back on that? Why wasn't that working? Why wasn't that possible? Because at the moment, the NHS is in such dire straits with waiting lists through the absolute roof that the only way we're getting through a lot of them is by outsourcing operations and that sort of stuff to private providers. That's the only way a lot of people are getting their knee replacements or whatever done. And there's not really any other way at the moment to try and manage that huge waiting list without outsourcing some of it to private providers because it's got so bad. So until we can kind of get those waiting lists under control. Now, one of the ways he could potentially do that is to pay staff well enough that they don't go and work in the private sector. And then we have more staff in the NHS. But what would I know? I'm just an angry ex-trade unionist. So, <laughs> yeah. And uh, where does Starmer stand on um, pay rises for NHS staff? Um, they've been a little bit shady on that one. They're very deliberately not getting their hands dirty and saying mm. what they do. And they very deliberately have not been seen on picket lines. Um, uh. But actually, having been very involved in the junior doctor's strikes last time round, I remember the then Shadow Secretary of State for Health, Heidi Alexander, um, the reports were that she basically banned any Labour MPs from going to picket lines. What? Um, Why? Yeah. Um, because she thought it wasn't a good image, because they didn't necessarily have a better plan, because they didn't know what they would have done. So, yeah, it was really controversial at the time. And we didn't really get any Labour MPs turning out on picket lines, despite them being the trade union party, which also kind of counts as one of Starmer's backtracks, I would suggest, because he was all trade unions until he came to power. Yeah, I was going to say, aren't 
like Labour is supposed to represent the people uh, and they're doing the exact opposite. They're basically Tory light, uh, depressingly. Um, another fun thing that uh, Starmer and his party have completely backtracked on is pretty much everything to do with Brexit. So I'm not going to delve deeper into that because that is a huge trigger word for me. I go on rants and rants and rants about Brexit. So I'm just going to I'm just going to stop there. But one day, one day, all of you will be treated to how I feel about Brexit. I think we are going to need to do a Brexit special at some point when our oh, blood pressure God. can take it. I'll have the drugs already. Don't worry. Thank Afrin. you. Thank you. Um, so <laughs> something that I know both of us absolutely fume about um, that they've backtracked on is universal childcare. They were so close. So close. Mm. So at first, they promised childcare from the end of parental leave until the end of primary school, which would have been huge. And then they changed their mind on that and have started looking at other options, despite the women's budget group showing that universal childcare would pay for itself and start actively benefiting the economy within five years. Not not even just the economy, but the environment as well. Universal free childcare is social care, and that includes childcare, is one of the best things that our government could invest in to protect our planet and mitigate some of the worst like incoming impacts of climate change. I'm I'm so infuriated about it. Like it I don't have kids. I'm just really freaking livid by this one. Yeah. I mean, look, we, we could go on and on and on, but I think that's probably a nice place to stop in the world's most depressing game because we probably have about one listener left. So we probably want to keep that remaining listener, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it has been quite a heavy episode, hasn't it? Yeah, I promise not all of them are going to be like this. Like occasionally we are going to throw in like a little fun pop culture moment or two. Uh, Hannah and I were planning a potential tabloid special. That would be that would be really fun and not depressing at all because the tabloids say very nice things about women. Oh, they love women, do the tabloids. Um, yeah. they, they have, you know, they finally stopped getting us to take our tops off on page three. Like they just filled the space with love. <laughs> yeah, love, warmth and respect. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, there's there's just so much more we could have covered, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, Sunak placing bets on getting vulnerable people onto planes to Rwanda and then his awful transphobic remarks at PMQs. Yeah, there were also the allegations of sexual harassment at the Ministry of Defence and there was a breaking story about the government secretly shutting down an NHS Pride programme. This week was... Yeah, this week was a lot. And we we don't want to kind of thoroughly depress everyone again. Like we try to bring an element of hope to everything, uh, especially uh, in our in our podcast, because uh, otherwise it can feel hopeless and, and we can all feel powerless. But we aren't. And it's really important to know what's going on and like get to grips with how it's affecting the most vulnerable people. Uh, and I promise uh, good things are coming. Better things are coming. But this, yeah, this week was a lot. And we will also be increasing the stories we cover between episodes over on our Instagram channel uh, and our TikTok, which is at the week in Patriarchy Pod. So do follow us there for more insights throughout the week. And with that, thank you for listening to this week's slightly depressing episode of The Week in Patriarchy. You can find a link to the transcript of this episode in the show notes and on our Substack page. Yes, and make sure to follow and subscribe to us wherever you source your podcasts and find us on Substack. Just search The Week in Patriarchy podcast to be the first to know when a new episode drops. And please do give us ratings as it helps others to find us. Finally, huge thanks to our incredibly patient and technically marvellous producers, Alex and Jess. And thank you for joining us for the Week in Patriarchy. We'll be back very soon.